Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy, presented by the Right Pack Radio Podcasting Network. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. So glad that you guys could uh, be here to share this uh, this great discussion with us. I also hope you have uh, been able to listen to the Right Pack Radio uh, podcast, which is um, available every Sunday. There's a new episode to download every Sunday, and you'll be able to hear a great roundtable discussion with a lot of different uh, a lot of different authors from the St. Louis region. Uh, discussing things from structure to marketing to pop culture references. It's a great show. It's a whole lot of fun to listen to. And um, a big thanks to Right Pack Radio for making Excelsior Journeys part of the Right Pack Radio podcasting network. It has been proven many times over that you never know who is going to come into your life and change it for the better. That has been proven to me several times over when I accepted a job offer to work at a company called Hadassah, which is the Women's Zionist Organization of America back in 2004. Um, During that time, I was looking for a new admin position. And while I was there, I wound up meeting and befriending a whole slew of different people that are, um, were very much um, on the same journey as I was in their own way. Um, And a lot of different, a lot of different authors, a lot of different storytellers, and just really wonderful people all around. And uh, one of those, one of those people that uh, that came into my life actually came pretty late into um, into my time at Hadassah in 2007, um, when uh, when I started chatting with and befriending um, a woman named Rebecca Jaycox, who it turns out is is just as much of an author as I am, and she has become one of my best friends. She has also become a very prolific editor in addition to her writing, um, where she is constantly taking on new clients and uh, literally killing them with kindness because uh, she, is, she is very much the advocate of tough love. But at the same time, everything that she has done, including both Excelsior and Ever Upward, has helped to make these manuscripts better. Uh, I can definitely say that is the case with both of my books because neither one would be anywhere near where they are if it weren't for the editing skills of Rebecca Jaycox. So with National Novel Writing Month having passed us by, it's a great way to, this is a great way to kind of segue into the discussion of what comes next after you have done your first draft. Um, I have stated many times that we that uh, you should definitely not start just thinking about cleaning it up and then putting it out there on Amazon for all the world to see. That is not the way to do things, and I know that my guest today will uh, definitely agree with me on that. So it is my pleasure to introduce to you my guest for this week, author, editor, and all-around awesome person, Rebecca Jaycox. How are you, my friend? Hi, love. Um, I just want to let you know that I was smiling during your introduction, and we are on a radio show, so you couldn't see it. 
Oh, okay. but I, was, I had a huge smile on my face. You said some very kind words, and I I appreciate them. Well, it just so happens um, so it, uh, it it works out well, I think. So. Thank you. Um, so you're right; it was National uh, Novel Writing Month, and people make mistakes thinking that you know the first draft they're going to write it, they're going to go through it once, and they're going to publish it, and I'm here to tell you all, unfortunately, um, it doesn't work that way. You usually need typically, I would say, at least four drafts before you produce anything that is that is ready to publish. And the process, at least for me, and I'm sure it's for you too, George. In fact, my first book had six drafts. So mm-hmm. um, I'm at the point now where I'm not a newbie anymore, and because I'm an editor, um, I write, uh, my first drafts look like third drafts. Most people don't. So, um, I had an editor friend look at my work and said, this can't be a first draft. And I said, that's just how I write. But most mm-hmm. people don't do that Yeah. because, um, they're not crazy editors who are analyzing every word they write on the page. But, but for my advice for first time authors is, you know, do that fourth draft. Um, and when you're done, if you have some colleagues that you respect, writers that respect, who will help you, have them beta read for you and point out errors in your manuscript, continuity issues, plot issues that you wouldn't recognize because you're so close to your work. And then go and find an editor who matches you. You need to find somebody you're comfortable with. They should provide a free sample for you. They should edit at least a 2K sample of your work for you for free so you can understand the editing process, who you're hiring, if you're a good match. Um, you know, an editor, a good editor is worth their weight in gold, at least to me. Yeah. Because they're your partner. They're the one who's going to be honest with you and tell you what's going on, what's wrong. And their whole job is to improve your writing. You know, you should, it should be a partnership where you, you can grow with your editor. Um, a lot of my first-time clients have had repeatedly, I can see that their writing's grown because once I point out mistakes or bad habits, by the time I get a third book, they've started eliminating those. And it's a really nice thing for me to see. I really hope that that winds up being the case with my third book in the Excelsior series with uh, Greater Glory when that is finally finished and sent and sent over to you because um, I real this is, you know, I've, I've gone through the mill with you twice, you know, and um, it's, it's <laughs> like it's like going to the gym, you know, like you, as you're doing it, you're just like, eh, eh, eh. but then at the end of it all, you know, like, and you can see the changes that are being made, then all of a sudden you become like, almost like addicted to it. You're just like, yes, you know, like this is working. Let me keep getting better, you know, with everything I'm doing. And um, I still, you know, I remember uh, being incredible, feeling incredibly stung when, um, when you told me that the first I would say 10, 20% or so of Ever Upward wasn't working. Um, and I'm sorry about uh, that. <laughs> I, you know, like, I, yeah, it's, it's stung, you know, but at the same time, you, you just have to man up and, and realize and kind of go through it because a lot of times we as authors were looking at our manuscripts through rose colored glasses. What wound up happening with that was once those glasses came off and I looked through it again and I realized, wow, this really, this really is kind of reading like a travelogue at this point. So let me, um, what can I do to kind of um, keep things going? Because what you were doing 
um, was great because it was pointing out something that I was trying to do that was against my own instincts. I was trying to do something else to try to broaden my own horizons as an author, and it wound up feeling forced. And you called me out on that. And I was grateful that you did because um, I am very impatient when it comes to storytelling. I want to just get right to it. And with this first, you know, 20% and everything, I was taking a little stroll around this whole planet before the plot really kicked in. So I'm glad that you did that because you allowed me to figure out how to take that whole travelogue, condense it into one chapter, and then move on <laughs> with the story itself. And it wound up allowing me to introduce all these, you know, a couple of other characters that I wound up, you know, like working into the overall story. And it wound up making things just better and better and better. So um, I, am a, I am definitely an advocate of working with an editor, especially one of your caliber. Oh, thank you. Um, I nailed you pretty hard for that. I remember. Yes, yes you did. And yet we're still here. So, you know. And yet we're uh, still here. We're still friends. Exactly. Exactly. So um, enough about what you, you've done for me, which is, you know, more than I could, you know, more, more than I could say. But um, what, you know, like um, you got something in the works for you. So talk, talk to us a little bit about what's going on with your work in progress. Okay, so um, I have written, um, well, it will be a trilogy, and it's called The Inheritance Series, and I'm working on the last book in the trilogy called The Other War. The first two books are The Other Inheritance and The Other Queen, so I'm working on The Other War right now. I am also with Eluris Publishing. I'm their editor-in-chief, and... Um, Jeff, the director, uh, liked my work. So he also published for me when I was looking for a home, um, when Rocking Horse Publishing closed. Um, and I just have to give a shout out to Jeff because he's incredibly hardworking. Uh, he takes care of us very well. And, um, if you are an author looking for a small press, you, there are certain things you want to look for and certain things you need to avoid. And, um, the first thing is when you're signing with a small press and George, you can back me up on this. Mm-hmm. You want you want somebody who this is their life. It's not a side hobby. It's not a second job. They're trying to make this into a real business. And when I first met with Jeff just to talk about being his editor-in-chief, um, and I'm sorry, I'm going off on a separate tangent here. Mm -hmm. um, I was impressed that he had a business plan. He'd had a, you know, he had a budget for advertising. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. Um, in terms of quality covers and then, you know, the, the fact that he hired me at all and had a system, a lot of small presses don't do that. And, you know, even though he does a lot on his own, he does hire out the work that he needs to do and he does support us in terms of marketing and those kind of things. So if you, dear authors, are looking for a small press, it's sort of your kind of a first step into before an agent. Um, or you just don't want an agent and you'd rather publish directly and work with somebody. Um, these are the things you need to look for. You need to look for what are they going to do for you with markets, covers, editing. If anybody wants you to pay for somebody, something you run, that's not a small press. That's a vanity press. Absolutely. No, no press, no press should ask you to pay for anything. They are, they are here to get your work and make money off of you. So you're the client. Um, but I think our experience and George can back me up. It's been really great. 
It really, with, it really is. And, um, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about about uh, Jeff Collier and Aloris Publishing, especially considering um, everything that's happened for Excelsior this week. Um, because I would not have gotten a book club promotion if Jeff hadn't pulled the trigger on it and made it happen. Um, and seeing the kind of uh, the kind of sales numbers um, has has been has been a huge eye opener, and it's been just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Just seeing um, seeing that book get as high as it did. It peaked at um, it peaked at uh, 219 in the entire uh, Kindle bookstore. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, and um, when the uh, the other inheritance did uh, did pretty well with that as well, didn't it? Like it. Um, we had I had a great run um, in March and April and the end of February where yeah. we didn't we didn't do any special advertising. Um, it just suddenly like took just, off just, all of a sudden. It, was, it just suddenly took off. Like like fun facts for authors. Um, especially if you're a first-time author, you're going to have to learn all about uh, AMS ads, which are Amazon ads, Facebook ads, those kind of things. So um, for us, our publisher runs Amazon ads daily. And for some reason, I don't know, the stars aligned and uh, my book just started selling. I, I think I was, I want to say like 1,500 in the entire store and like number one in all my categories for a while, which was really amazing. Yeah. And... Um, I mean, those are the kind of numbers you you want to see, so it was great. And um, I think I'm having a little bit of a lull in sales right now, but part of that is my fault, as you know, George. People want to read a complete series. Yes, so they, that, they that don't I, have pain. that. I definitely know, and I feel like once uh, once I get I you know finally get in gear with uh, with greater glory, then um, hopefully we'll you know we'll we'll start seeing some real um, some real action with. Um, I mean, ever upward has um, the the um, the the attraction that uh, that that um, that ever upward got as a result of Excelsior sales on BookBub and all the different other promotions that uh, that Jeff had been putting together for this week. Um, it's it's just been mind blowing and seeing that uh, some people have actually taken a chance with ever upward buying it at full price um, was a huge huge bonus. Um, so. Um, that also has me feeling like, you know, slightly intimidated because as you know, you know, I am going, this is going to be part three of my trilogy and yes. trilogies are hard to wrap up, you know, especially when they're they are hard, especially when, yes. when you've taken such delight of pushing your characters into as deep a hole as possible. Um, and yeah, you know, with that, yeah. With that second one. well, my character is in a really bad place. Um, sorry, I like circumvented the whole what are you working on now? Um, That's okay. My character's in a, in a really dark place uh, to start with the third uh, book. Um, I, I'm afraid to give spoilers in case anybody actually wants to read the first two. Well, before, in a bad before, place. We go, before we go into the details, before we go into the details, because we are going to definitely touch on the details when you talk about how the other inheritance came to be, let's take a little trip back to the beginning of it all. Um, one of the things. Oh my. One of the things that I like to discuss on this show is what that spark was. Everyone kind of has that one defining moment where they just kind of see something or they read something or they're, they're experience something and they point in that direction and say, that's what I want to do. So what was that? Hmm. With me? Yeah. 
Um, I'm an only kid, so if you're an only child, um, you kind of have to entertain yourself, right? And so I also lived in a very rural community, and um, I always had a big imagination. So I've been writing stories since I was ten. You know, mm-hmm. um, I went on I went on pirate adventures with my cat. <laughs> so um, and then I I saw Star Wars when I was young, mm-hmm. and of course it already been out in the theaters because I'm not that old. Um, but, but it's, I it's saw still, it and like, I, you know, no matter what, you know, yeah. like when, when you first see it's, that, movie. it's iconic. That's a game changer right there, you know. It's a game changer. So I thought, oh, you know, I want to write worlds. Mm-hmm. I want to write in other, I want to make and create and write in other worlds. And so um, that's what I did. So I wrote in high school. I didn't get to write too much in college because I was a journalism major. And then finally, I want to say 27, I started writing no, maybe 28. I started writing um, The Other Inheritance in in a real way. And I took um, writing classes with Media Bistro in New York City. I don't know if you ever did that, George, while you were here. I've, I've heard um, of it. I actually, I attended a um, a Media Bistro party. I remember uh, okay. there was, there was um, I think it was from the, uh, I think it was, um, I think it was Ken Owlett's book, Googled. Um, but there was okay. like a launch that was going on for him and I was able to, um, I was definitely able to exchange, you know, some, um, business cards with some people. I kind of wish nowadays that I had that opportunity to do that again, because I feel like I would be much more composed and definitely much more no, um, knowing what I'm doing, uh, when it comes to writing, when it comes to, um, when it comes to everything that, uh, that I have going on right now. Um, I feel like that would have been more useful back for me back then, um, if I knew then what I know now. But you know, like what can you right. do? Um, so what can you, you do? Yeah. So Media Bistro. You know, like uh, what was that like for you? Well, um, it was great because I had a structured. I took three classes with the same author, and even though um, she was a great instructor, but she probably wasn't the best instructor for me because she wrote um, contemporary women's fiction, and I wrote you know, fantasy and young adult fantasy. And I remember um, when I would show my pages, because we, that's what our job was. We were, um, we had to show 10 pages a week and then critique our, our classes pages, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, it gives you real critical feedback that you need. So, um, but she would always tell me, but this is, you know, YA, you can't do this. He seems too adult. And I was like, have you ever read The Hunger Games? Lord of the Flies, anyone? Yeah, uh, you can do a lot in YA. In fact, oh, yes. um, at that time, YA fantasy was really peaking and becoming popular with adults as well because it was doing things that adult fantasy wasn't doing. Yeah, you know. Um, so I mean, but it was a good experience because I met I met a lot of great people that I still talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it really made you um, develop that critical thinking skill set when you when you have to turn it to your own work um you you can't really look at your work you have to give up your pride when you start start editing yourself and when i first shopped the other inheritance to agents i did a pitch slam and i had like four people who were interested and this one agent was really nice and worked with me and um it started off i think the other inheritance was 95,000 words and i cut it down to 70. Wow. 
And my experience was, oh, this I need all of this. I didn't need all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the agents was kind enough to tell me what I needed to do, and I fixed it. And she said, well, it's good, but it's still not strong enough. But I, I really took that advice to heart, and I cut, you know, those 25,000 words. And I, it's a much better book. And, um, you know, by the time I, I had chopped it to Robin at um, Rocking Horse, it had gone through six versions, so it was as good as it was going to get. But um, I think that's what people have to realize when you're writing, especially when you're writing your first novel, because it's your baby. Yeah. In a way that, like, your second isn't, and, you know, because then you're kind of like, yeah, cut, cut, cut. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Um, my motto is, like, take the knife out, less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, do what you need to do. I mean, I didn't need those extra 25,000 words. It's and, that's, I that's, and that's still like, I mean, it's a lot, you know, like when you, when you think about it, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, you, once you realize what is expendable, then all of a sudden you just see like everything just start to quicken all the, you know, the pacing starts. Pacing, pacing. Yeah. All of a sudden you're, you find well, the, like you're turning those pages a lot quicker than you used to. Well, the funny thing is, um, in the midst of those cuts, I discovered, um, a character who came literally like the next to the last draft um, mm-hmm. called Bryn. And he is my, uh, my changeling who um, he's an elf who turns into a, a wolf, but um, he's, he's a series. Everybody who reads the book is sort of in love with him. He's their favorite <laughs> character. Like no, especially I, I, women, I, yeah. they, they love him. Um, and he didn't come in until the fifth draft when I was making serious cuts, but I thought, um, there was a section I needed to beef up and I, it was missing. Something was missing in the book. Yeah. And it was him. He was missing. But don't think that when you're cutting, you don't, sometimes that's when you get your best inspiration and your best ideas. Um, he certainly made the book stronger and everybody loved him. Um, but you have to, you have to really look at what you're doing and decide, pay everything, has to be pacing and forward momentum. And if it doesn't service the story in some way, it doesn't belong. It's it you sounds know? like it sounds like Bryn is very much in the same boat as Hadera because in um in Excelsior because um she didn't come around until I think it was like either the second or third draft. Um and I Really? Cannot, I cannot imagine this story without her. Um you know I really can't because she was she was not one of the original characters that were um that was part of um that was part of this whole universe that I created back in nineteen ninety two she came in very very late in the game and um just like just like the character um just like Hadera, she pretty much like grabbed the spotlight and said, "No, you're looking over at me and she is uh she is somebody that you know she's got a, a really interesting history too because um just um, when I first created her, I first created him. Um, he was this. Um, he he was very much like this kind of imposing, um, imposing character that was based on. It was like a mixture of the Undertaker from WWE and General Kale from Willow. Um, <laughs> that same sort of like brutish, you know, kind of um, overpowering, you know, like force to him. And when I pitched him to Jerry Ann Geller, who's my story editor, um, her thought was, can it be a woman? And I thought, yes, it can. And all of a sudden, you know, like she just, 
got changed up and became a character that, um, to quote Frank Langella's take on Ske- on uh, on Skeletor, um, delicious. I would say, yeah, um, I absolutely, absolutely, I I love that character so much, and I can't wait for you guys to see uh, what I have in store for her in for greater glory. Um, well, I'm a I'm a weirdo, as you know, and as George's editor, um, I want. I want um, I want she and Excelsior to have like some sort of affair. I feel that they have such crazy chemistry, and I know that that was an accident <laughs> that you didn't mean for that to happen. But, but I love that you see it. I just love that you see it. I and um, and the great thing is is that there is a moment in um, in Greater Glory where you're gonna get what you want. Um, that's all I'm gonna oh, say okay. about it. But you're gonna you're gonna get what you want, you know, in in a, in a very interesting way. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I realize like I'm the weird shipper over here. Being like, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> something's happening. But I something's happening. But that's that's the magic of writing is is and the magic of storytelling is that you can you can come up with these kinds of things and the reader can take it to a different level. Um, that's one of the yeah. things that, that I'm, I'm feeling like a little distressed about with, um, with what JK Rowling keeps doing with Harry Potter is she keeps on like, you know, throwing in like all these different things that I understand it's her universe and everything, but at the same time, um, a lot of her readership is going to take as well. And so yeah. that's, it's almost like she's insisting on make, you know, like making these different changes just because it's her universe and she can do what she wants in it. So um, I've been ignoring these changes. I'm pretending they don't need to happen. They're not, they, they don't exist. Yeah. Um, I won't have, uh, I don't want to have tarnished Harry Potter memories. So yep. I used to kind of ignore all of that. I'm going to be honest with you. Everybody's like, Oh, did she wrote this? And I'm like, eh, I don't really know if I'm interested. Not right. that I don't love it, but eh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I'm interested. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, on the vein of, of writing again, so I was happy, and I, I'm sure this is the same for you, George. Um, when I wrote The Other Queen, mm-hmm. I improved as a writer. It's a better book. Not that I don't want you all to pick up my first book, The Other Inheritance, because you have to, to read The Other Queen, but The Other right. Queen is a better book. Yeah. Like sometimes you're set, you're, a lot of times when people write that second book, it's not as good as the first. Unless it's like the Empire Strikes Back, and then that's kind of what you want to write, right? You mm-hmm. want to write the Empire Strikes Back. It's a better book, so I was really excited that I improved as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And um, from what Jeff has seen of my third book, The Other War, he told me it's the best thing I've written. Wow, that's that's a, talk about some a great boost of confidence to really get you going, really get you in gear. And I've seen that on your on your post lately. I'm just seeing like that. Yeah. Work getting higher and higher and higher and you're getting you know like i can see in your in your posts the excitement that's coming out of you um and that's a great that's a great feeling to have once you know you got it and you keep going and everything it's just like it's just getting faster and faster you're getting more and more and speaking of the empire strikes back it's funny you should say that because during the time when i was talking to you about ever upward um and you know, the different things that I had in mind for it, which are still there. You know, like it was just a matter of tweaking how they come into play. Um, 
but there were certain things that I was saying that um, that I really was fashioned. Um, I was I was really kind of paying attention to uh, the Matrix Reloaded as my ah. uh, my point of reference because you know just like you know like you're a weirdo you like to see Hot Air and Excelsior get it on. Um, I'm a weirdo. I think the Matrix Reloaded is the best one out of the trilogy, and so you know and you know, like that, I've I've gotten many weird looks from that. You know, like on you're you're getting a weird look right now. You just well, can't it, see it, but go yeah. ahead. <laughs> so you know, like that was something that I always really kind of uh, was was keeping an eye on. That was something that I always um, wanted to you know wanted wanted to use as a template. Even though, yeah, I'm aware that there are certain faults that are in there, but at the same time, I feel like there's enough in there, and I um, where I can appreciate where they were going with it um now is it all satisfied in the matrix revolutions of course not um but there were there was definitely i feel like there was enough there were enough chances taken in the matrix reloaded i think it was like it was a matter for me it was um i couldn't stop watching it i wanted to get what they were doing and it was because of that that made it it's like it, the repeated viewings really kind of made it my favorite one. The matri- the first <laughs> one, I was able to get pretty much right from the start. So, um, you know, but um, when it comes to that second one, it was a matter of putting the work in. Um, so, but then, you know, like as soon as I told you that, you were just like, try thinking of The Empire Strikes Back instead. <laughs> so it definitely helped because I was able to kind of take the best things that I like from Matrix Reloaded and work it in with elements of the Empire Strikes Back and put them together. And just like you, like with um, with the other queen, I think Ever Upward is a better book than the first Excelsior. Um, I think so too. Yeah. And I, think it is. Uh, I love the first Excelsior, especially considering that this is the third, the third edition of it. Um, and I'm glad that I'm glad that this is the one that got the book club promotion. So we, so everyone is getting the better version out of all of them. Um, I so. did. I did whip that in shape for you. Yeah, I did. I did. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you for that. Oh, thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. So tell, uh, tell our readers a little bit about The Other Inheritance as a story. Where did that, where, where did your inspiration come from that? What happened and um, what's the, um, what is the basic story that, uh, that's going to get people to buy it as they should? 
As they should. Um, I think it's a good book. Um, so I'm always sort of fascinated with that coming of age um, story. And I think that for me, it's important to tell a story about a, a woman, a young woman who who's, who's strong and who has goals and who's um, and I'm sorry for anybody who loved Twilight, but it really rubbed me the wrong way. And um, and I didn't finish with them all, so I forgive me. But the the concept of a 17 year old basing her whole life around a boy and this sort of that's it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I wanted to create a character that was sort of the anti that, who was focused on her future in college, and and you know she had a plan, um, and Reggie is kind of based on, um, of course, she has a little bit of me in there because all our characters have a little bit of us, right? Of course. Um, but she's sort of based on a friend I had in high school, um, just on the outside of her life. And so um, Reggie is 17. Her mother is an alcoholic. So she's basically the parent in the relationship. Her father went missing when she was really young and her mom. It's not a bad person, but she just broke down after her her father disappeared. And so um, Reggie discovers through these dreams she keeps having with this this man named Reese that her father wasn't from our reality. And so I named our reality the real. Her father is from an alternate reality called the other. And um, she's inherited his his magical abilities and her father's killer is realize that she's alive and now um, he wants to come for her. And so to save her mother and her best friend, um, Reggie goes into the other and tries to find this man from her dreams who's her guardian so he can teach her about her magic and um, you know, protect her from her father's killer. And the world I built is very interesting because um, when people – hear about this they think I do a traditional fantasy world which George you know that's not true right um I I created a it's a portal fantasy but I created a world that is is very modern except that everything is run by magic magic fuels everything and I made it um have steampunk elements you know airships and crazy inventions but instead of running off of steam everything's run by magic and spells and so that's kind of the world that she's thrown into um, she's traveling with a young man, a handsome young man, who's her love interest who may or may not be trustworthy. Um, and they have a crazy adventure trying to, to get across this unknown world to get to her guardian. So that's sort of the first book. Um, and the interesting thing is she has a best friend in her first book who becomes, he's not, he's in the first book, but not a lot, but enough where you'd be interested in him. And by the third book, he's become my favorite character to write. He's sort of the everyman that you root for. Yeah. Because he's, he's so out of his element <laughs> in, in this world. And he's the only person who doesn't have magic and he's just trying to get it done. Mm-hmm. Being completely, um, having no advantages. He's completely disadvantaged, you know? Right. Which um, is, which is a great, so I, great character, which is a great side character and everything for, uh, people who say like if they they're reading this and they don't 100 percent identify with Reggie, at least they can identify with him. So oh, they can they completely identify with him. He's sort of like the everyman when you're right. when you're reading. You're like oh, poor John. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> like, what has he gotten himself into? Right. Um, and I actually ended up pairing him a little bit with, with Bryn in the third book. They have their own side adventure. Nice. Well, it's not so much of an adventure as a survival thing, but they're, they're good characters to have together. They're mm-hmm. fun to write. And John's sort of in awe of Bryn because, you know, he's like, oh, Bryn was great, but he also could gut you in under, under six <laughs> seconds, you know? So, um, you know, like, thank God he's on my side. Right. Uh, but so I think, I mean, if you like, if you like adventure, if you like, a, if you like an intricate sort of world building in a new world, you like steampunk, but I, I coined it as magic punk. I mean, you like strong, feisty heroines, you like good looking guys. It's a touch of romance. That's not the main focus. It's a lot of action and adventure and sort of intrigue. Um, I think, what did you describe it as you're going? It's like Dorothy entering um, Oz. I'd say it's a fun, it's a, um, it's a mixture of, um, it's definitely has like elements of Wizard of Oz, but also with Alice in Wonderland, you know, like, cause a little bit. Yeah. It, it's got such a, you know, such a, you know, such a, um, a stark contrast to our world, um, which, which, right. and it's, um, the fun of it really is, um, is discovering that world and you know um that's that's one of the uh that's one of the stronger um that that i I would say is definitely one of one of the stronger elements of of your writing is that world building you know like you want to you want to go in there because you can see every detail as it uh as it appears um thank you that's something that i um i struggle with and i'm glad to see that um you know I'm I'm so glad to see that um that there are a lot of that there are a lot of authors out there that do this really well. I think you do it really well. I think um um Debbie Mamber Cupfer's pause series, I think it um her world Oh yeah, it's really thought out. Amazing. Yeah. Her world building is yeah. amazing and it's something that I really hope that um you know, like I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, like how everything develops from there. Um but I really love you know like the um that trip that you're that you're taking us on in that in that book so um you know well that's, that's i made a blast with well the funny thing is um i was showing this um you remember pam from PenCon? it was susan uh foss editor oh yeah i think yeah so i just showed her some of my stuff from the third book and she was like Oh, I was expecting a traditional fantasy world. This is really modern. Um, like I want to know what's happening because it is modern. I mean, they yeah. have, they're not traveling with horses. It's not like sword and sorcery. I mean, there's magic, but it's a different thing. But I, I make that joke in the very first book. So people kind of know what they're getting into when yeah. Reggie asks her love interest, Asher, like, am I going to have to learn to ride a horse? And he looks at her like she's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you have to learn to ride a horse? Right. We're gonna take it. We're gonna take an airship. We're gonna like get online and get a ticket. Like, <laughs> what are you smoking? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, no. So yeah. you kind of know that right right away you're going into a place that it's familiar in the fact that at least there's sort of a, um like a modern system in place, but it's completely unfamiliar in, in any other way. But you don't feel like you know you don't go into a horse and wagon and like traditional um, fantasy sort of situation, even though they're traditional fantasy elements, it's in a much more modern way. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. It does. So, yeah. 
So when but, um, um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> no, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um. So, so you, so you go through the six drafts, um, and you submit it to uh, Robin Tidwell at Rocking Horse Publishing. Uh, she takes it, and um, you know she uh, she launches it under under her um, you know under her catalog. And right. about what was it like? About a uh, two years after that, is that when um, is that when Ro uh, Rocking Horse closed down? Yes, I think so. Okay, so yeah. so two so two years passes. Um, Ro um, Robin makes a decision to close up shop, and um, we both you know both of our contracts you know they she allows you know our contracts to end you know like very you know she's you know very gracious and. Um, you know, as as I've said, you know, like on the show before, I owe a whole lot to Rob to Robin Tidwell. She's, you know, given me opportunities that I never thought possible, that I never thought that I would want to take. Um, you know, especially right. being involved with the uh, Missouri Writers Guild as much as I was, as well, I still am. Um, but um, um, but yeah, I I definitely owe her, you know, like a huge debt of gratitude, you know, for that. Right. Uh, but then, um. You know, right around the time when you know, right right at the time when uh, Rocking Horse was uh, was wrapping up, that's when you um, you put the little bug in my ear to reach out to Aloris Publishing. Now, how did you get involved with Aloris? Well, this is um, interesting. So, um, Jeff is one of um, Jeff Collier is one of um, in our one of our writing groups, um, YA author. Uh, young okay. adult author rendezvous yep. and he just had made inquiries about an editor and I had started my business in June of 2016 I started my own business which is Rebecca Jaycock Slayer of Adverb you can find me on Facebook if you mm -hmm. need an editor sorry I had to plug myself of course um so Jeff was just asking around in these groups and Patrick Hodges who created that group I believe mm-hmm said oh rebecca has her own business so jeff and i started talking and he told me what he wanted to do his business plan his designer what his what his goals were and i was impressed because he it wasn't a side business for him it wasn't a hobby this is going to be his source of income so this is what you know i don't work anymore i just want to do this so i said okay well this is fun to get on the you know the ground floor oh yeah so um I agreed to 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 be his editor, and um, and he said, "Well, I also, which is not done by the way in small presses, everyone. I just want to let you know." He mm -hmm. said, "I'm also going to give a small advance." Wow, that's unheard. I mean, he was being yeah. very serious. He wanted to get really good people. He wanted to produce a quality product. So, um, you know, I said, "Great." I told I, I think I I think I might have edited something from him. I don't know. It's been a while. He yeah. liked what I did. He hired me, and I told him my situation that um, the current publisher I was with was closing out. Um, I like what he was doing. I would love to send him my manuscript. No hard feelings if he didn't think it was right for him, but I, I wanted to try. And so he read it. He liked it. Um, he offered me a contract, and in fact, I told my uh, other writing friend, who we both love dearly, Michelle mm -hmm. Bryan, who's very yeah. talented, about yeah. him too, and he loved her books. And then um, 
I mentioned you as well. I said, and I have a friend, George, he was my colleague. Um, tell me what you think. And so that's how I brought you on yep. that way. Um, I mean, I was so happy that I found a home with yeah. Jeff. Um, he redid my first cover. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love my cover. Um, yes. I love your covers. Me too. Me too. So I, and then I finished uh, my my second book, and um, I did a launch at uh, Books of Wonder, which was great in New York City. I had a lot of people, and I did a nice launch in Missouri as well. Um, and I sold out my launch in Missouri, so that was fun. <laughs> um, no, it's always good. It's always good. I, I like to go to schools. I, I'm from a very small town, so um, one of my teachers still works there in middle school, so I visit the eighth grade classes. Mm-hmm. And they ask me questions about writing or just following your dreams, you know. So it's good to tell kids that, especially when you're from a small town, because sometimes you feel trapped. Um, so it's good for me to go to those those kids and say, you can do anything that you want to do. The only person who's standing in your way is you. Yeah, and, so, and it, really, it really is something great to be able to, um, not only to be able to speak to kids and everything, but to be able to kind of hold up your book and you know, and show them that this can happen if they exactly you know, want it, if they want it hard enough, and seeing their eyes, you know, widen the way they do, and you know, it's it's great. It's it's like it really is just an amazing feeling. Well, you know, I try to tell them that nobody wants to work hard, right? But if you get what you want, you work hard. That's it. Yeah. There's 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 no escaping it, but. You know, I said, look, your parents might tell you you can't do it. So-and-so might tell you you can't do this. Oh, you're from here. You can't do anything. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But you have to make it happen. Right. Nobody's going to come and hand it to you. Yeah, exactly. You know. And, and if, you're doing, if you're doing what you love to do, you know, if, it, if, it's not, if you're able to chase a passion, then it's not even going to feel like work because you're exactly. fulfilling a dream. Exactly. Exactly. So... That's always fun, but um, I found a home with with Jeff and A. Lewis, and it's been great. Um, I've got to meet some other authors that are fantastic. Um, as the editor in chief, I've got to read some really fantastic work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, and I'm going to brag a little about myself. Everybody I've, I've worked with, who I've edited for at Lewis, have all thanked me profusely. Yes. And said, you did such a great job. Thank you so much. You included. No, you're a great advocate for me. I really, really appreciate it. But it's it's so nice to have um, what you do appreciated because Mm -hmm. I am harsh. I'm never, I'm never cruel. I want to point that out to everybody, but I'm very honest. Yeah. And as a writer, you have to understand that you're a professional Mm -hmm. and you want somebody to be honest with you. If you're hiring somebody who's telling you what you want to hear, you're not hiring a real person. Right. And, and it's not besides, a professional. Like, what I've what what I've said before, I said it on Right Pack Radio and I've probably said it um, on one of the episodes here. And I'll say it again. It's a lot cheaper to make your changes, you know, before it comes uh, before the book comes out than buying a whole bunch of plane tickets so you can stand behind your readers and say, This is what I meant to say. Yep. You know, so Yeah, you don't get you don't get that chance and um Dear authors who want to argue with people on Goodreads, tell them what they meant. Don't do that. Right. That's a bad idea. Do not, do not engage, especially on Goodreads. That place is a cesspool. <laughs> don't, 
don't feel the need to engage with people. Uh, That's a bad idea. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, um, I've had clients say, well, this is what I meant. And I said, well, that's great, but that doesn't come off the page. Yeah. So you can mean whatever, but if I'm not understanding that, well, it doesn't do you much good. Right. You know, you know, like, so, you, know, you, know how, you know how to engage with your readers. You write a book, you put it out there, and they buy it. And they yeah. want, they're investing in your words. And if, and if you're not, if your message is not coming across, they're going to let you know. And you just kind of have to suck it up and, and move on from that. Um, but you, exactly. uh, you can't just, you can't just say like, well, this is what I meant because they can't just, it's not like they can just reread it and say, oh, I get it. It's going to be, well, it didn't come across. So. And then they're not going to pick up your second book. Right. Yeah. Especially if you're going to engage them and say that, you know, that, um, that, you know, no, it's your fault for missing what, you know, the message that I had for you. Like that's not yeah. how that's not how any of this works. Well, that's that's why I always tell people. Also, um, I just want to let everyone know too: a beta reader is not an editor. They both have different roles. They're both important roles, but don't think just because you went through a beta reader, you don't need an editor. Right. Um, I've had friends ask me to beta read, and I refuse because I'm an editor and I just can't do it. Yeah. I will end up editing your book and no offense to anybody. I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't have time to, to do uh, that for free. Yeah. Um, but beta readers, they are supposed to read it as a reader does. Meaning I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. This didn't make sense to me. I mean, they're not going to go in with the depth that I do. They're not going to take like a scalpel. Right. And start, you know, dissecting layers. Um, but their job is to tell you like, this doesn't make sense. You know, Cassie look, is like this one time, but then she said something totally different. I mean, their their job is to give you a general sense. And I want to tell people, if you have four beta readers and they all have different opinions, I would take those with a grain of salt. But if all four people say, this doesn't make sense, I don't like this, this is when you need to listen to people. Yeah. If it's a general consensus, then that probably means something's wrong and your your words aren't getting across to your reader. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my thing with beta readers. But when you hire an editor, of course it's your work and if you don't want to change it, don't change it. I don't ever go in and rewrite a book for you, you know that George. Yeah. That's not my job. I don't go in like I'm not in there rewriting paragraphs for you. Mm-hmm. My job is to make suggestions about plot and character consistency and if the writing is sloppy or needs to be tightened up, I point that out. I'll highlight it. Yeah. And I and I will highlight repetitive phrases or just delete them after. If you do it enough, I just delete them, and you see exactly what I'm deleting. But mm-hmm. it's not our job to rewrite your words for you, but it is our job to make you better. Yes, that's our job. And that's something that uh, that, that too many people uh, just either take for granted or don't even realize. You know that um, that this is that this is the job. You know and. And just like, um, just like with writing, you know, at its best, it is a job, you know, like you are getting paid to do, to do this service, just like, you know, yep. getting paid to provide this form of escapism, um, you know, or, you know, like whatever story that, you know, provide a story that they want to tell, or in some cases have to tell, but this exactly. is, you know, you know, like this is uh, this is the the 
as Hyman Roth said in Godfather 2, this is the business we've chosen. And that's basically like where we are, you know, like as, as authors, as editors, um, in Jeff's case, as a publisher. And we're going to, we're going to be speaking with him, uh, later on this month. Um, that's great. So yeah, this is going to be, this whole month is going to be, is going to be a blast because we're going to be speaking with, you know, we're, we're speaking with an editor right now. We're going to be speaking with, um, um, with agents. We're going to be speaking with, you know, we're going to be speaking with a publisher, you know, to, to wrap up this year. And um, there are also going to be some bonus episodes during this about um, um, that are going to feature um, some panels that uh, that were done over at Archon 42. Um, so great. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be a great month. So as we wrap things up, um, what do you um, now you, you already you know, said that we can find you on on Facebook under Rebecca Jacox Slayer of Adverbs. Um, where else can um, where else can um, potential clients find you? Um, honestly, that's that's my business page. Um, yeah. You, yeah, that's my business page. You can always um, send me an email at um, Rebecca Jaycox author at gmail dot com. And that's Jaycox is exactly. Yeah. You can you can always send me an email. Um, I get a lot of messages on my um, Player of Avers page. I always respond. You can also find testimonials at Satisfied Clients there. Um, I have a lot of them, and I'm always willing to give you references as well. Yep. Just remember, when you're hiring, just again, I'd like to say when you're hiring an editor, you have to find somebody who's professional and that you're comfortable with. That's the most important thing. And always, always get a sample of their work. So you know what you're getting into. And if they don't want to provide you one, I would pass on that person. Yes. Um, yeah. And as, um, as your, as one of, uh, one of the authors at Alores Publishing, I cannot recommend you, um, more to, um, to any, to everyone out there. Um, by all means, please, you know, reach out to, reach out to Rebecca. Um, you know, and, if even if, if even if it's not you know with Rebecca you know definitely work with um, work with an editor that you are comfortable working with just like Rebecca said so um, this is as I've said before um, we are all in this together everyone is playing a part in um, in making these books a reality no man is an island no woman is an island no child is an island um, <laughs> you know we are all about getting the best possible work out there um, for you, the readers. And um, editors play such a crucial part in that. And Rebecca is, you know, is, you know, is one of the best that you'll be, um, that you'll be able to work with. So um, well, thank you. Please keep that in mind, all of you, when you are, um, when you are writing. Um, and, you know, since this is the end of National Novel Writing Month, you know, you're looking back at your manuscript. It is not ready for publication. No. It is not for, no. it is not for uh, the public to see. It is only for you to see and for you to take another crack at before you let your beta readers, before you reach out to an editor. Um, you know, you have basically what you've done in November is you've laid the foundation for your work. And a lot of other people are going to be coming into play to make turn that foundation 
into a full house. And so, um, so just let, you know, just like I've said many times before, you know, like, um, you know, writing may be a solitary job, but at the end of the day, you know, we are not alone. There's a lot of people go into this to make this work. Um, And as an editor, Rebecca is a key part of that, um, of that whole process. So um, thank you. So please, all of you, please, um, you know, get an editor, do your homework. And, you know, writing, you know, is, uh, you know, writing is only a part of getting this whole, uh, getting your book out there for all the world to see. So um, please keep that in mind. And please keep Rebecca Jaycox in mind when you are looking. Oh, for thank it. you. And so um, for Rebecca Jaycox, this is uh, George Soroy saying to all of you ever upward. We'll see you next week.